Real quick before we dive into today's show, did you know that on average recruiters take six seconds to scan a resume? No pressure in submitting your application, right? Well, six seconds aside, it's easy to become overwhelmed when it comes to updating your resume, I know. But I've got some good news, I can help. I've created a simple resource to support you and trust me when I say this, updating your resume doesn't need to feel daunting. Check out the resumerefreshchallenge.com to download your resource today. Again, that's the resumerefreshchallenge.com to download your resources today. Hello, and welcome to the Own Your Career podcast. If this is your first time listening, you should know that I started this podcast to inspire and motivate ambitious professionals get into action with all things career. So I have a question for you. Have you ever wondered what it would feel like to slide down an ice track going 130 kilometers an hour? Well, my guest today wondered just that as a child watching the 1988 Calgary Olympic Games. With the encouragement of his family and wise words from his godfather to follow his star, Mark Hatton did just that in the years following and entered the exciting world of luge. Mark is an athlete, a mentor, a consultant, a comedian, a husband, and his most important role, a father. His career journey has been anything but traditional and is what excites me so much to share with you a glimpse of his path. Without further ado, let's head into my conversation with Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jenna. Thanks for being here this morning with me. It's my pleasure. And I get to see your lovely face, and not everyone will, but we've decided we'll go on camera to talk to each other because it's more personable. It Totally. Otherwise, yeah. we're just kind of talking to a laptop. It's not the so, same. Not the same. So before we started recording, we, we just started talking about being chit-chatters, and one of the thing, one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you on this podcast was because I admire how you've follow, like followed your passions. And then I was thinking about just you as a person and like how likable you are and how easy you are to chat with. And some of the things that you do, like people potentially wanting to be mentored by you or your guest, you know, speaking at events and things like that. I'm like, all of this has just been because you are who you are. And I feel like you stayed true to who you are. And these things have like naturally happened. At least that's my perception of it. And so you'll be able to share with us how that all actually yeah. happened. No, I think, I think that's absolutely right. It's uh, It certainly wasn't by design. I just... Um, <laughs> I just enjoy chatting to people and yeah. I am a chit chatter and I do like small talk, which is, you know, <laughs> with someone who had a background in sales, it's not always the best thing to be, you know, talking about your family for three hours. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, I, do, I do enjoy chit chat. Okay. So how I like to start all my conversations with everyone is for you to first dive into who you are and just share a little bit about yourself. So pass it over okay. to you. Yeah. I'm Mark Hatton. And I was born in London in the UK and I had a fantastic childhood. I really did. I had a very loving family, very supportive family. Summers growing up were on BMXs or, or <laughs> skates or, you know, just incredibly enjoyable childhood. You know, it, I remember it being mostly fun. And then you know, I got involved in sport. Sport was always a constant in our family. My father was uh, a tennis player. He played uh, Davis Cup. And my mother is, at the age of 86, is still a yoga teacher in London and personal trainer. So awesome. Yes. And so it's always been there. My, my sister was a gymnast. My other sister was a tennis player. So it was always there. And I 
didn't follow any of the family sports really. I didn't go into tennis. Um, I should have done more yoga and I wish I had done more <laughs> yoga. Um, <laughs> that's something I need to start on and stop procrastinating about. But I started off, you know, playing rugby and doing pole vault as well, track and field in winter. Um, and then, then I just liked the idea of sliding downhill on something fast. And I'd seen, you know, the, the Calgary Olympics in 88. And it just absolutely captured my imagination watching the opening ceremony, watching all the different incredibly cool winter events. And I set my heart on doing luge. And that has really shaped me and my career as a luge racer mm-hmm. and it's it's continued to kind of provide opportunities throughout mm-hmm. and I think that that links to it just being when you're when your occupation is your passion you know things come naturally mm-hmm. I feel yeah um so yeah that's that's a very potted history of of where I grew up and uh, mm-hmm. who I am. So for Luge, when you you saw it on TV and then what, what were your next steps? Were you researching? Like, where do I find out how to do this? Yeah, I was. I kind of, I was about 14 or 15 when I saw it. And I kind of put it on the back burner for, for a couple of years just because I was doing other stuff. And it seemed, you know, coming from London seemed so unattainable. We had no <laughs> track in the country. It's not it's just not what kids in London do. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put it on the back burner for a few years. And then I went to university and a lot of the British bobsleigh team were training at my university. <laughs> um, and then that kind of re- reawakened this spark. And uh, it was literally a case, it was because before the days of the internet. So uh, it yeah. was ringing up and saying, hi, my name's Mark Hatton. I'm 21 years old and I want to do this sport please and uh, eventually I got put through to somebody that knew what was going on there was a tiny group of people doing it then mm-hmm. it was a very military sport as well what and, do you mean by uh, that like actual uh, military yeah mainly the military oh. doing it not many civilians doing that sport why is that um, and it's still that it's always been that way I, I'm in the UK the sliding sports bobsleigh skeleton and luge is there is it like support their training in other ways or something yeah I think it's oh. it's those almost extracurricular military activities that if you're in the military, you know, you do things that are a character building and will stretch you and test you. And so that's where things like the sliding sports, just they, they fit in perfectly for that. You know, they built, they do build character. They do break character and it's, it's an incredibly enjoyable and, and testing arena to put yourself in. Yeah. So, and that, that appealed to me as well. You know, once I started actually trying it mm-hmm. it's like this is amazing I want to go faster you know, <laughs> and I want to make this I want to make this my life and you know two Olympics later you know it it, it came to be but it was um, an incredibly incredibly enjoyable journey and it still continues to be because I still stay involved in the sport yes wow that's amazing what a, is when you were speaking about character building can you think of a time where you're like maybe that you wanted to quit and stop doing it or just like a challenge that you had that you had to overcome within the sport and participating competing yeah I think so character building I think being fast-tracked into a program like I was um, I didn't have the the grounding in the sport that say the German athletes do they start when they're five or six years old 
I was starting at 20 years old yes. and then a few years later racing World Cup and having to go up to the top of these tracks. And I remember in a track in Latvia, Segulda, I crashed 15 times in a row on the same corner. And, you know, quite fast, you know, 130 kilometers an hour each time. And you start to get a bit beaten up and you start to question, yes. what am I doing here? You know, seriously, <laughs> I, I suck at this. Yeah. Um, and I should just go home and hide under my bed. But you don't because you know that, you know, it, I think it teaches you that, that perseverance and that, and eventually, you know, you... On that 16th run, when you finally do make it around that curve, it's like, <laughs> yes, I'm never going to make this mistake again. And then you go up and make the mistake again. But yeah, <laughs> you, it, <laughs> that's incredibly satisfying. You know, it's one of those sports. I mean, sport, it's, it's a bit of a hackneyed old saying, but it is a, a, a design for life, a microcosm of society and all of that. And it does mirror a lot of challenges we have in life. And mm -hmm. I think, like I said, those sliding sports, they do teach you, you that value of, they make you incredibly humble because you're constantly being humbled by this behemoth of a track yes. that you have to, to try and conquer. But they also make you value hard work and perseverance incredibly. Mm-hmm. So all of those things that you learned and that you honed while you were competing, how did how did you bring that into other aspects of your career as you did you fully like when would you have retired from luging? I retired. I don't think I ever officially retired. Yeah, I was like, have I'm you? Still on the website. I think I'm still on one of the websites as an active athlete. And I think, <laughs> should, I send, should I send them a letter? And I'm like, approaching no. 50. Uh, never Keep say it. never. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, truly. But it was um, 2007 was my last world championships. And then uh, I think, you know, that was, uh, I think, a good 12-year run I had on the on the Luge Tour. And... Uh, just such a such a incredible lesson in following your passion and following mm -hmm. your star you know i found i'd found something that just fitted with me and who i was as a person what i wanted to get out of each day mm -hmm. and that was going incredibly fast down a mountain <laughs> um but it it fed my fed me fed my soul in a way that nothing else could mm -hmm. um so that that i think for me the biggest lesson going into into the more traditional working world mm -hmm. um, after retirement from Luge was was definitely following your passion mm -hmm. and linking your passion to what puts food on the table. <laughs> so what was that? I, I went straight out in the public speaking circuit afterwards because I really enjoy, like we said, I'm a chit-chatter. I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy chatting. Yeah. And I, I initially started public speaking after the 2002 Olympics mm -hmm. when – I knew I was going to do another four years, but I didn't have any funding. And I knew there were a lot of public speakers out there who were charging astronomical amounts of money to tell people what they had done in a past role. Yeah. So one of them made the mistake of putting his, con his contact list online. And <laughs> I found his testimon the testimonials, and I contacted a few of these people. I looked at testimonials, contacted them, and I said, look, I know you've hired certain people to tell you what they did 
will you hire me for half the price and I will tell you what I'm planning to do to get to the next Olympics? And that, seen, that funded me to my next Olympics. That's amazing. And, uh, it was an incredibly fun way of doing it because along the way, you know, you're speaking in rooms of people with totally different skills mm-hmm. than you have, you know, accomplished people and people want to help. They want to offer advice. They want to mentor. They want to offer support. So, um, you know, beyond the financial gain, it was incredibly enriching in, in lots of other ways. Who was your favorite, like during that time, and I know that you still um, speak, what, in that way, who has been your favorite client? I guess that's hired you. I have to say, I still love working in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked for um, the Youth Sport Trust and also a charity called 20th Century Legacy. Mm-hmm. And you, with the Youth Sport Trust, you were dealing with kids that had, were maybe on the brink of exclusion from school. They, they, and they weren't bad kids. They were just kids, misguided kids. Mm-hmm. But it was incredibly rewarding. And, you know, that, that's where you, where you go out and you feel like you've made an actual difference. Or you, may, you know, you've made that 1% difference to someone's path. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very, very enriching for me and rewarding. I think that dealing, you know, working with kids, it's a lot more, I, I feel the word authentic is so overused, but it feels more, it does, it just feels more authentic. Yeah. You know, you you can tell stories and they're genuinely, they have no preconceived ideas. They just want to listen and they're like sponges. It's, it's wonderful. Can, have you had anyone reach out to you after like years down the road? sharing the impact that you've had on them i have yes and it's i wouldn't say it happens every day no but it's it's happened uh probably on three or four occasions um people have reached out to me and on say linkedin or facebook and they've said you you came you came and spoke at my school uh, or you know and or you spoke at my company and yeah and that's uh but yeah it's 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 rather it's is a nice feeling when it's you know, a few years later that yes. somebody decides to make that connection. Yeah. And you I think, wow, that. maybe, you know, I, I, I said a, a sentence that, that actually hit home with somebody and, yes. you know, you know, in, in between all the kind of vaguely interlinked stories, maybe just something came out that really, really hit someone and, and made them think. Yes. And maybe not even intentional necessarily from your side of things like not like oh I'm, i need to make sure that i say that specific thing today right yeah i think it's just speaking I, from always, your heart and that's I, th- I think especially when you're speaking to businesses you don't really need to put out a a solid roadmap of i have to say this motivational quote i have to do yeah. this i have to do this <laughs> i think you know you're dealing with accomplished people who um and you just you just tell tell stories and 99.9% of the populace can take what they want from those stories. Yes, 100%. Mm, I love that. Okay, so you and I worked at the Vancouver 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Games together. Best and job ever. Best job ever. I remember, I probably told you this before, but I remember this, that was like my first like quote unquote real job and um, or like grown up job, we'll say. And I remember the people that I worked with just saying like, you're never going to have another experience like this again. The people who are here and just like how fun it was. How did you land there? Like, how did you get involved in it? Obviously, th- I'm assuming through sport. 
But did someone call you up and say, we think that you would be really great at this? Or did you apply? Yeah. How did it all go no, down? I, uh, 2007, I did my last race at the World Championships yeah. um, in Austria. And we have a, kind, a, a casual race with Canada that's been going since the mid-1960s called the Commonwealth Cup. Yes. And it's a, it's a very casual race within a race, but it's it's hard fought, and Canada usually win. And um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but now that I have a Canadian passport, that's kind of you know I've got a foot in both camps. It's quite nice. But Canada usually win, and we we went out. We had a dinner that evening after the race, and I was sat next to the president of Luge Canada at that point, and he said to me, you know, we're looking for a Luge manager for the 2010 Olympics, and yeah, I said, well, I'm, I'm definitely interested. So I, I put the feelers out and, um, yeah, I, I was, I remember my, my first interview, I was doing a speech at a school at an incredibly beautiful, very old traditional Hogwarts type school in South uh-huh. England. Yes. And, uh, I got there and I had about a 30 minute window to do this interview and so the headmaster said, you can use my office. And I sat in this huge office with all these leather-bound books <laughs> behind me, this big mahogany desk. And, I thought, and honestly, when, you, when, you, when you're in an environment like that, you, you do put your best foot forward. Yes. You think, like <laughs> and that was my, my first interview with, with Van Ock. And it went from there. And it was a very, very quick turnaround. It, awesome. was, it was the conversation with my incredibly supportive wife was, how do you fancy moving to Canada? <laughs> She said, sounds fantastic. Which part? I said, Vancouver. She said, absolutely. And three months later, we shipped everything over and uh, landed in, in Vancouver. Had you been to uh, BC before? I hadn't been to BC. No, I'd done most of my racing over. I'd been to Montreal. Mm-hmm. I'd raced in Lake Placid. So we always spent yeah. a bit of time in Canada that way. But no, I hadn't. And I, what about Mel? Yes, she had been here and she'd yeah. been to Whistler, I believe, and uh, Vancouver. And she did a, uh, a season in Banff as well. So she, she was a, a, a big fan of uh, Western Canada for sure. That's awesome. So that, that worked out well. And yes. while, okay, so you go from be, uh, your, the beginning of your career really being in sport and now being kind of on the, well, not kind of, you were on the opposite side of things, running everything so what was the biggest challenge that you had I think with that role it was probably introducing a new sport to a community Mm. um, that is just so entrenched in ski racing and skiing yes Um, and there's everybody moves to to that part of the world in Whistler because mainly because of the skiing and they figure out how to how to make money put a roof over their head but they're there because they want to ski and probably mountain bike in summer um and so throwing a new sport into that mix and saying we want the community to support this that was challenging so um but we did a we did a number of kind of road shows and got the community involved and the community support was and continues to be absolutely fantastic it's a real lasting legacy yeah, it is. I can't like when I picture up there now. It's just part of, it's part of Whistler. Like you wouldn't. I don't think of Whistler without it. So that no. yeah, no, that's definitely. amazing. And you got to be one of the reasons for that. That's cool. Yeah, A little yeah. pat on the back it's, there. Uh, 
yeah, it was um, it was a fantastic, fantastic experience in many ways in terms of what it teaches you. Mm-hmm. You know, it teaches you a lot of humility as well, and uh, <laughs> to be given a role like that. Mm-hmm. You know, my role was mainly working with the international federation mm-hmm. and working with the national federation and just bringing that all together and getting the competition off the ground. Mm-hmm. What has so not just speaking about this particular role that you had, but when you think about your career to date, what has been your greatest success? I would, I would say, I would include my sporting career in my career. Mm-hmm. It's 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 odd with a lot of a lot of athletes. You know, if you're an NFLer or an NHLer, and you're getting paid vast amounts of money to do what you do, it seems very very correct to call it your part of your career and nobody questions it but when you're a a ski jumper or a loser or you know and you're you're just getting by scraping by but you're following your passion it's um people say well what's your actual job and you say I'm a loser racer is what I do yeah oh but what's your real job what do you and uh so I've I've come to to peace with that and I do think of it as part of my career now and I'd say my my sporting highlight probably is linked to a failure in the 2006 Olympic Games, where the Olympics is a four-run race, and I crashed on my third run. Big crash, and you'd, I'd work towards, you know, you work four years towards four runs down the mountain. You know, that, that works out four 50-second runs, four years for that. And then you crash on the third run and you you think this is the kind of thing that you never even think that's a possibility because you you grow that confidence in yourself and you think, no, I'm not even going to think about that happening. And then it happens. And when that happens, you have a very, very short amount of time to dust yourself down, deal with your emotions and take your next run down the track. And... I think I'm most proud of how I dealt with that catastrophic third run failure mm-hmm. in two ways. I, I hung on to my sled because I knew if I let go of it, I would be disqualified. Um, oh, that's and I a wanted, thing? I'd worked too long and too hard. You have to cross the line with your sled. And okay. I'd worked too long and too hard to leave Chirum with only three runs under my belt. Mm-hmm. So I held on to my sled, which was not the most comfortable feeling yeah. being dragged along the ice at that speed uh, but honestly the just the fortitude that you find within yourself when when you're up against it um, that all of us have within us I think it's just you uni- when you're put in those situations and having that uh, probably a 30 minute break to like I say dust yourself down and go out and try and do it again and when everything you've worked towards is is broken mm-hmm. and gone and getting on the sled on that fourth run I put down my fastest ever run and I felt it was my technically my best probably one of the best runs of my career I mean and you know I finished pretty much near the back of the pack in that race sadly but I would still count it as probably my best race ever just because of the whole the whole journey I went through over those four runs and over that those four minutes do you remember what you told yourself after you crashed yeah, I had a little cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got angry. Mm-hmm. I got sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I tried to flip the script in my head because I was first off 
in the because I had crashed, I was first off on the final run, which meant that I got the fastest ice that that track has ever seen. The ice was completely fresh, resurfaced, and it was the fastest that track will ever be. Wow. Or ever was. And I was lucky enough to be given that opportunity to, to go down it. So I thought, well, I'm being given this amazing, literally a level playing field. I need to absolutely take this opportunity Mm -hmm. and there's obviously a weight off your shoulders as well because you you know you know you're just racing for pride at that point Mm -hmm. and uh it's um so yeah i think that's that's probably how i managed to turn my emotions around and actually still go out there and execute Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that i feel like that takes such discipline to be able to yeah flip the script so quickly in your mind in 30 minutes, in less than 30 minutes, because by the time you get off the track and then like realize what the hell is going on. <laughs> yeah. And I think as I think as humans, you know, we're incredibly resourceful in that way because it's certainly not something, you know, nowadays as sport becomes more professional year after year after year, no doubt there's sports psychologists uh, telling athletes exactly how to deal with those situations. It wasn't something I it wasn't something I had practiced. Yes. But I think most people can just find something in themselves when they're when the chips are really down. Yeah. And uh, that was my opportunity to to see, you know, how far how, how far I could dig mm-hmm. and, and find that in myself. Mm, that's awesome. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that story. Okay, so looking into now uh, when we talk about your career to date. Can you share a little bit about what you work on in your day-to-day and what keeps you busy now? Yeah, I'm uh, right now I'm somewhat retraining. Um, I haven't had a traditional career path by any means. I think we've covered, covered that. Yes. But it's been an incredibly, incredibly fun time to date and it continues to be so. My guiding light, I guess, with my career is passion and purpose. Finding your purpose is... Uh, it's so incredibly important to keep you motivated and to, you know, to wake up smiling in the mornings and not wake up like you've got a weight on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. If you have that purpose, that eradicates that, kind of, whether it's anxiety or whatever it may be, finding that purpose is so important. And I'm doing a lot of mentoring right now. I'm working with a charity called The True Athlete Project, which is trying to create a more compassionate world through sport. And that's something that's very close to my heart as well. And uh, working with elite athletes in that is incredibly fun, incredibly rewarding. And then alongside that, I'm retraining at the moment as a certified imagery trainer. So um, again, something that's linked to my passion, because when I was racing, Mm-hmm. You know, we visualize a lot. Yes. We visualize going down the track all the time because you'll get maybe two runs down the track in a World Cup week, but you can take as many runs up there in the gray in your head mm-hmm. as as you like. And so I visualized a lot during my, my career as an athlete, and I continue to visualize, I think. But then imagery, certified imagery training, is out of Portsmouth University in the UK and Harvard University. And it's takes it onto it links that vision envisioning to your values, to your passions, your so many different areas. It makes it a multi-sensory experience mm-hmm. and it imprints on the brain so much better. So I'm part way through qualifying that. Sounds in that so and cool. I'm I'm really enjoying it. I think it's got 
fantastic applications in the business world and the health world and in the elite sport world. And I will be the first in Canada, wow. I believe, to, to be certified in it. And very it's cool. um, incredibly exciting. So, yeah, I, I didn't actually explain that very well. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, link, it does link to your emotions and your values, really. And uh, that imprints on your brain in a much more effective way. And it's incredibly powerful. Have you thought about where exactly you want to apply? Like, will you gear this towards sport, your certification? Will you work with athletes? Do you see yourself working like multifaceted in a couple of different ways? I I think multifaceted. I think think it's got incredible value in the corporate world, Mm -hmm. personally. And we'll see, you know, it's a a risk because it is the unknown. And, uh, but that's what keeps you fresh, doesn't it? Yes, that's, it that's, does. What, that's the good stuff of life is taking these risks and thinking, you know what, this could be a ridiculous idea, but let's give it I a go. I don't know. Anyway. It sounds, um, makes sense to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you so, talked about purpose. So what is your, when you think about purpose, what's yours? I that's such a big question also. <laughs> yeah, so take that however you would like. Purpose. What is your purpose, Mark Hatton? <laughs> what is my purpose? I think purpose links to, I mean, the things that are important to me in my career, I would mm-hmm. say, are a purpose. Mm-hmm. I think autonomy. Yes. You know, that ability to make your own decisions and respect you know, being treated by an adult, by the people around you mm-hmm. and being treated with respect. Because I think, you know, we're coming back to looking at the the whole person as, a, as an employee. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely about time yes. because, you know, we're not, businesses shouldn't be run like a school with a, with a, this autocratic leadership style I don't feel I feel that you know you've hired these people because they're good and guess what they're grown-ups also and they can make their own decisions and if if the baby's sick one morning yeah that's fine they can be trusted to work from home and then come in later they shouldn't be penalized for that and so I I feel that that's such a huge huge part of of my reason but yeah what's my purpose my purpose is probably based around family Mm -hmm. uh family how I want to be remembered Mm -hmm. my coach always used to say that to me he said how do you want to be remembered and that I've always found that very powerful and that I often go come back to that Mm -hmm. how do I want to be remembered when it's all said and done will anybody remember what car I drive will anybody remember that I had a 120 foot yacht Mm -hmm. I don't yet (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but people I, th- I think if if you keep that as, if I keep that as a constant that keeps me very honest mm-hmm. because you come back to the really really important stuff of how you want to be remembered I think that's how I am as a man how I am as a family man as a husband as a father mm-hmm. as a son as a brother and if I can link my career to keeping me how I wish to be remembered, mm-hmm. then that's that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. That's a good way. You know, ultimately we all just want to be remembered as good people, I think. You know, that's it's hopefully not too much to ask. And so if I can link my career with that, then that's even better. So so when we're talking about mentorship and speaking about that, how can if people are listening and they're like, oh, mentorship is something that I'm interested in, whether it's going and finding a mentor or being a mentor for someone, how can they get involved in doing that? How would you recommend that they do that? I think finding a mentor, if people wanted to be mentored, I think trust, I'm just coming out with words here, uh, trust, aspiration, and humility, 
I would say are those th- three things you need to find. With trust, I think it's so important that it's you can choose someone that you trust mm-hmm. just to just to chat with. You know, we don't chat a lot. You know, that's why chit chatters, as we said, are, are, we're valuable commodities as chit chatters. We're bringing it back. You know, there's too many people that just that never look up from their phone and they don't have that those beautiful human interactions. Mm-hmm. And I think with mentorship, it's it's giving yourself permission to just chat sometimes mm-hmm. and just talk. And you're not talking to a counselor, you're not talking to an employer, you're just talking to somebody that might be able to offer you a couple of pearls of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's enough. So, and then aspiration, I think, you know, what do you aspire to be, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life? And look around for those people, because I can think of many people I, I know um, who I think, wow, they've really got it together. And they may not have it all together, but there are facets of their life that I can absolutely learn from. Mm-hmm. And then humility, I think going into it with humility is so important mm-hmm. because, you know, we're proud as human beings and you think, I don't need to ask for help. Why would, what's anyone got to offer me? Well, there's lots of people that have done, you know, have made mistakes that I can learn from maybe, you know, that's as a mentor, I find that incredibly rewarding. If I've made a mistake in my career and then I can say to somebody who's going through a similar situation, you know what, maybe don't do that. (laughs) What happened to me when I tried that? I'm not saying don't try it, but just a cautionary tale maybe. You know, that's 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 incredibly rewarding. I love that. When with mentors, I've heard this idea of choosing a mentor that's maybe within a few years of where you would like to be or what you would like to be doing. Do you, do you agree with that statement? I think that's a, that's a really good guideline. Mm-hmm. I do, but I would I would call okay, there's a guy called Ian in my community. He's 89 years old and I go around and I drink tea with him once a week. Well, I, I haven't. I've been a terrible friend recently because I've been away. But I go, I go around and I drink tea with him fairly regularly. I try to make it once a week, and uh, not out of any kind of. He's an incredibly proud, accomplished guy. But and uh, we have fantastic chats, and um, that to me, you know, mentorship doesn't have to be okay. We're having a mentoring call right yes. now. It can just be. I feel finding those people. And and chatting with them and and finding out what made what makes them tick mm, and I love that. what mistakes they've made, what triumphs they've had, and similarly, I do canoe racing. And one of my favourite parts of canoe racing is we have a five-kilometre paddle to the start line and a five-kilometre ba- paddle back home. And on that five-kilometre paddle back home, with my with my racing partner, who's he's a retired, he was uh, very successful with Microsoft. We have the most fascinating conversations because we're not racing anymore. We're completely exhausted, <laughs> but we're paddling at night. It's absolutely beautiful and calm. And it just, it's one of those, it's a environment that just fosters incredibly deep, interesting conversation yeah. where you wake up the next day and you think, wow, that was a really good point he made, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't, you know, how can I, how, how can I, action that. Mm, I love what you're saying here around, or what I'm hearing anyways, is it's not about necessarily going and finding someone specific to mentor you. It doesn't need to be that. It can just be who are you connecting with in your community, the people that you 
could be interacting with every day if you choose to look up from your phone and stop with the devices or whatever, pay attention and engage in a conversation and see like where it goes kind of thing. Yeah. Surrounding yeah. yourself with, with good people. Yes. Good people that are aligned hopefully in your values and, mm-hmm. and hopes and dreams and whatever they may be. And uh, it's so, so important, mm-hmm. you know, to, to banish negativity and surround yourself with good, positive people. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And for someone who would want to take on mentees in, in let's say, not not necessarily like a casual way, like what we just talked about, but in a more formal way of, I'm going to seek out someone that I can be a mentor to. Do you have any suggestions for that, for how to go about doing that? There are, I know there are a ton of mentoring organizations out there Mm -hmm. and it is a very good place to start. But I think sometimes it's maybe to look closer to home Mm -hmm. in your own community and seek people that are already in your network, Mm -hmm. you know, people that you know already. Because I think the great thing about being a mentor for me is that I think I, I feel a bit of a fraud because I feel I get way more out of it than the yes. mentees. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say that it probably would feel that way. It does. Yeah. You finish and you think, I find myself saying, thank you so much. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and that's, a, I would say, a fairly regular occurrence. And I think I think a lot of mentors feel that way people who have chosen to mentor people it's um it's it's definitely not a one-way street it's it's two-way traffic you you get so much out of it okay okay I'm gonna switch gears a little bit one thing that I wanted to make sure that I asked you was what has been your greatest piece of either feedback or advice that you've got in your career I've got a lot (laughs) I've had a lot I would say I, I I'm I do like to we go going back to the mentorship I do like to surround myself with people I respect and people that are on my wavelength and positive people but probably I would say from my father and my dad would be if if there's no pathway build your own and that's always been a bit of a constant in my life Um, again it's one of those things I just keep coming back to yes and it's what he means by that is it's not always going to be laid out perfectly in a straight Mm -hmm. line for you and sometimes you've got to you know kick down a few doors jump over a few walls and just make it happen for you Mm -hmm. you know take that self-responsibility and that that probably if there's no pathway build your own yeah do you remember when he shared that with you or like in what context he first shared that with you or is that just something he he would say just something he would say yeah 10 or 10 or 11 years old probably yes i can remember but you know and it came out, it comes out in different ways. It's not always if there's no pathway, build your own. Yeah, yeah. You've got to <laughs> carve your own furrow. Okay. There you go. There's some old English. <laughs> What's a furrow? Yeah, which I think, uh, was it plow your own furrow? I don't actually know what a furrow is. Yes. Well, if it was plow, furrow. Like... I think a furrow is what, it's like the dip in the ground that you plow. Yeah, okay. But if any of the listeners want to write in and yes. let us know. <laughs> I guess, we, I guess we could just Google it. Yeah, I was um, like, hmm. I'm just going to Google okay. it now, actually. I need to hold a furrow. Because I was like. Long, yeah, we were right. A long, narrow trench made in the ground by a plant. You knew it. Especially for planting seeds or irrigation. 
Okay, so we take away the irrigation and the seeds and yeah, carve your own, plough your own forest, carve your own forest. Anyway, I love it. we can talk about plows and farming for days. Yes, we could. <laughs> well, you certainly followed that advice for as you've carved your own farrow throughout your career. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start saying yeah, that. I would say so. Maybe I'll try to say that on every in every conversation I have with someone on this podcast. I'll please. <laughs> how, how in your how in your career have you carved your own yes, farrow? That will be your legacy <laughs> for the for the own your career podcast. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. I have a bunch of questions that I'm going to ask you. I like to call it the lightning round. Here we go. Love it. What business podcast or book are you listening to or reading right now? The Elephant and the Twig. Is a book? By Jeff Thompson. Okay. It's a book. What's it about? The Elephant and the Twig. It's, um, he is an ex-bouncer, doorman, and martial artist. And it's... It's one of those, it's a bit of, it's quite an old book, actually. It's one I read a long time ago when I was an athlete, in fact. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's based around, in, when they train elephants, they have a th something called learned helplessness. So when an elephant is tiny, they tie it to a massive tree. As the elephant grows, the tree gets smaller mm -hmm. and because the elephant knows it can't escape. And then eventually, you have a full-size elephant tied to a twig. And it won't even try to escape because it's created this learned helplessness. Quite a barbaric way of going about it, training elephants. So but it's, it's got some incredible parallels with uh, perseverance and carving your own furrow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and not a lot about elephants at all in it. Yeah, um, okay. It's a fantastic book. It's, it's um, really about taking up. I would say it's about taking opportunities. Okay, awesome. Very interesting. The other book I'm reading, yes. um, if I may, yes. is Legacy, which is uh, about the All Blacks rugby I team. Love it's 15 that Lessons. And it's uh, such an excellent book. Yes. My favorite phrase in that is sweep yes, the shed. Yes, I was just going to say and sweep the shed. It's just amazing. And it's so simple. And, you know, taking pride in your environment, taking pride in your work, mm -hmm. um, getting your teams, teams to take pride. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? How one book can be sometimes be just uh, reduced down to a stock of one sentence. Yes. You know, and that for me is the sentence in that book. Yeah. It's just like that was worth reading just for that. It's bit. true. It's such a good book. And I'll have to check out Elephant in the Twig as well. But Legacy, yes, such a good one. It actually makes me want to reread it, um, having this conversation. Okay, next. Interview question candidates must always be prepared to answer. That's a tricky one. I did always. Um, the old the old classic of what's your weakness, yes. that's always a tricky one. <laughs> what is, what's, what's, your your, weakness? what's your biggest weakness? See, I, I still don't have the answer. Yeah. You know, you have the super, you have the incredibly cheesy pre-rehearsed ones of things like that in that movie Train Spotting, where he says, "I'm a bit too much of a perfectionist." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, hmm. uh, my weakness, pass. Can we go? Can, yeah. we, can I come back to that? <laughs> we don't actually have to do that. Seriously, <laughs> I've, I've been asked this question for so long over over the years. I I can't remember what I would say. Yeah. I'm not prepared to answer. You don't it. need to answer it. <laughs> You're like, I like to chit-chat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, small talk. Yeah. <laughs> what is the weirdest interview question that you've ever been asked? Mm, I wouldn't say it's a question. I would say it's a situation. Okay. I uh, applied for a job when I left university just before I got a chance to be 
on the luge team. Mm -hmm. I trained to be a teacher originally, a high school teacher, but I went for a job with Goldman Sachs as a trainee Eurobond dealer. Which wasn't particularly linked to my purpose. It's just at that age, I thought, wow, that, I can make lots of money at that and what a great lifestyle I'll have, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Anyway, I, uh, I went in, the interview started and then mid-interview, he said, I'll be back in a minute. And he walked out and left me in the room for 45 minutes. And I could see him watching me what? every now and again. That is yeah, so weird. <laughs> Isn't that? Yeah. What was the reason yeah, for that? Absolutely. Did he tell you? I don't. No, did, he didn't. Did you get the job? I got invited onto the next and round. You were like- and at exactly the same time, like during the same week that I had to make the decision, I had an opportunity to to do luge with Great Britain, with a Great Britain setup. And I had a long chat with my, my father and my godfather, in fact, who said another wonderful phrase. He said, follow your star. And this is a man who I respect incredibly, my godfather. Mm -hmm. He's um, had an amazing career, you know, in high government, everything. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, follow your star. Mm -hmm. Forget it. He said, you got the rest of your life to earn money. And it was such wonderful advice because I think that set me on the path to being a purpose-driven individual. Yes. Oh, I have have goosebumps from that. It just seems like you have... You have and had such support for what you wanted to do. Like, go follow your dreams, do your thing. That's amazing. And how yeah. lucky and your family is. I know not is, everybody sure. has that. Yeah. Not everybody has that support. So I'm never under any illusions as to mm-hmm. how lucky I've been. Absolutely. It's really nice. Hmm. Okay. Your top tip for standing out in the job market. Differentiator. I think another good saying <laughs> We're every, what was it? Everyone's selling the same snake oil. So in elite sport, everyone's really, really, really good at what they do anyway. Yes. So you have to find those tiny marginal gains to differentiate yourself because mm-hmm. everybody's good at this point. And I think it's the same in business. Yes. At a certain level, everybody's really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. So you just have to find those differentiators. I remember when I was hiring for um, my coordinator role at Vanock, mm-hmm. And I hired the most wonderful person I've ever worked with, uh, Ashley Wormsley. She's just wonderful. And uh, we got one CV in, one resume. And it was, it was a good resume, but he lived in Norway. So it was like, oh, we put, we're probably not going to be able to hire him. And uh, then I saw in his interest, he says, I won Norway's best Viking. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, pardon? I was like, what? It's a thing. And I, straight away, I was like, I want to speak to this guy. <laughs> I, I want to know how I can become Norway's best Viking. Did you talk to him? We didn't in the end because okay. I, I, I knew in the end when I when a certain resume came across my desk, I was like, you know, there's no competition. Yeah. This is excellent. But he, he was a very strong, strong uh, candidate. If but, you're listening. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over there in, in Trondheim. Yeah, Norway's best Viking. That's amazing. What, what, and I'll, I will always remember that, but that, that, that's a great differentiator. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many professional certifications on a resume do recruiters just look over? Yes. I mean, you would you would sit up and take notice to Norway's best 100%. Viking. 100%. Would you not? And yeah, I think that's just such a good call about thinking about resumes around, like, bringing your own personality into into it. And put something Absolutely. on there and a mentor, to start a conversation. A guy that mentors me, mm-hmm. a guy that who who he he said to me the other day, he said your LinkedIn profile. He says it it's very, it's a list. 
And uh, so that's another one of my weaknesses for that interview question. There you go. My LinkedIn profile is just a list. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't say who you are. You know, he said, you do, I, I do stand-up comedy, for example. What? You do? I find it helps me. I do. Yeah, I, I love it. And yeah, I did Where? a course in it and I did it. I've done some shows. But yeah, I, and I, the reason I did that is, is a challenge and the fact I felt it would help me with my public speaking, yeah. with working under pressure, etc. I looked at what it would do to make me better at other stuff. That's amazing. And uh, so, and he said, why isn't this on your LinkedIn profile? And uh, I don't know why it isn't, but I might, after this chat, I might have to go do and put it, it on there now. Add that on there. Yeah. I'll hold you accountable. I'll be checking your <laughs> okay, LinkedIn don't. later this week. <laughs> okay, two more questions. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you or hire you as a speaker? Markhatton.com. Ooh. Which the other, one of the other Mark Hattons in the world keeps sending me a, emails asking for it. Oh, really? I feel kind You're of bad. Like, no, but, I'm keeping it. Yeah. And can we meet one day? <laughs> I'd like to meet you, right? <laughs> I'd like to meet the other. Exactly. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, that's. I, I I did have a Mark Hatton reach out to me after the 2006 Olympics, and uh, he was absolutely wonderful. Aww. Okay. Final question: What is the number one action everyone listening can take to own their career? I'm afraid I'm going to be a bit of a broken record. Find your purpose. I think. Uh, I think you write down your goals for sure. That's always been something for me. Write down your goals. Find your purpose. Link those two things together and then figure out how you can get paid for it. Mm -hmm. You know, you link, it's, you know, a lot of people refer it, kind of liken it to the Japanese concept of ikigai, which is this kind of sweet spot of purpose and balance. Mm -hmm. But I think it's much more simple than that. You find your purpose, link, link your goals to it, and uh, figure out how you can get paid for it. And then ask yourself, how do you want to be remembered? Mm-hmm. Mm. I love all of that. Thank you so much for our conversation today. Oh, my pleasure. You're such it's a joy. <laughs> I love laughing with you. <laughs> and I can't wait to watch you perform stand-up comedy. That is amazing. Yes, yes. We'll get you an invite. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for today. If there's no pathway, build your own. I love this advice that Mark's father shared with him over the years. And as Mark shared with us just now, in order to really follow that advice and apply it to your career, it starts with writing out your goals, determining your purpose, discovering your passions, and then finding a way to make money doing it. When we stopped recording, Mark and I started chatting about taking risks and learning from all the mistakes and that process of falling and getting back up and applying everything that we've learned along the way. I hope that this conversation, this idea of falling and failing and getting back up, but also everything that we talked about will give you that little extra push to go and apply for the job you've been eyeing, ask for the raise you've been seeking, or simply try something new and maybe, just maybe, you'll reveal a new passion. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review and share with a friend. Thanks for joining me in another episode of Own Your Career, and I'll see you next week. 